But if you have your Bible, and I really hope you do, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. At youth on Wednesdays, we always encourage people to bring their real Bible. So if you have your paper one, turn there with me. If you don't, then we have it on the screens for you, or just cheat and look at your neighbor, and that's totally okay. Nobody's going to judge you. But we are very excited this morning. We are launching a brand new series on Philippians. Now, Philippians is a pretty small book in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to take the next five weeks to study a community or a people that were known for two things. One was joy and one was generosity. We're going to jump into that this morning. But before we do, I want to encourage you. We're doing a few fun things just as a church. Number one is we're encouraging every single person to read through this book um, every single week in this series. So the goal would be that in the next five weeks, we would read through the book of Philippians five times. And maybe that sounds daunting to you, but it's not. The book of Philippians is, is only four pretty small chapters. And so the goal would be Monday morning, take chapter one. Tuesday morning or whenever you can, take chapter two. And by Thursday, you have finished the whole book and you can feel pretty good about yourself. Um, I know personally that I'll take on the weekend and read the whole book together as a whole. But if you would do this, I really believe you're going to see a lot of fruit that not just hearing it preached here um, on a Sunday morning, but that as you go home and every single day you're reading through this book of Philippians, you're going to be surprised at how much God's going to do. And to help you with that, we have a simple tool and resource. I don't know if you've seen these yet. I think some of you have already purchased yours. We have these really awesome, I see you waving at me, Carmela. We have these really amazing Philippian scripture journals, and I love this. I got to be honest. Um, Thursday, I, I got mine, and I've been using it this weekend, and I totally love it. What it is, is it's the Bible on one side, and the other side is just a notebook. And so each week, as you read through the book of Philippians, you can just write notes, what God is speaking or what you're learning in that book. And I think you're really going to be surprised over five weeks. It's the difference between scarfing down a meal like a teenager as fast as you can, or slowing down to enjoy it. I think as you slow down over the next five weeks and really dig into this book, I think you're going to be shocked at how much there is in God's Word for you. Does that make sense? And last but not least, if that wasn't enough, but wait, there's more. If you say, I still want more of God's Word, I still want to grow, I still want to learn and go deeper, then all throughout the week over the next five weeks on Joy Church Medford on our Facebook page, we're going to be posting different resources to help you dig into God's Word. So different books. If you say, man, I'd love to read a book on that goes deeper into Philippians, maybe different videos that are 10 minutes long or 15 minutes long to really break down some maybe confusing topics for you or just different ways for you to get deeper in God's Word. So I think typically that would be maybe Mondays, but also throughout the week. So check Joy Church Facebook for that. You, you following along, church? Sorry, that's a lot of information. Even I was starting to forget what I was supposed to say on all those announcements. Um, if you are there with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read this together. Here's what it said, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, when you hear Macedonia, that's kind of like a state or kind of a region. And one of the cities that we're going to be studying is um, a city called Philippi in the Philippians in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I, Paul, can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, as you excel in speech, um, in faith, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
I say this to you not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And I love this verse, verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Could we open in prayer this morning? Father, I thank you just for the blessing it is to gather um, with brothers and sisters who just love you, Lord. I thank you even this morning as we're just singing and we're praising you, God, and worshiping you. Uh, my heart is so grateful, Jesus, that those are more than just songs. God, those are more than just words, but Lord, you have changed us. Jesus, you have transformed us. You have given us new life, and this morning, we gather to celebrate you, God. Even as we study your word, we want to know you deeper, God. We want to see you clear. So I just pray right now that, God, you'd open up every one of our hearts. You need to open up every one of our eyes to just see you clear this morning, God, that you would speak to us. That, God, we would not leave the same, but, God, as we leave this place this morning, we would be changed and we'd be transformed. The Holy Spirit, you would soften every one of our hearts. That, God, as we hear your word, you would speak to us. You would change us. God, if anyone came in discouraged, if they came in tired and weary, you would strengthen them. God, if anybody came in with just with whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever they need from you, Father, I pray you would meet them and that, God, we would leave changed and transformed because of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Now, we just read quite a few verses talking about the churches of Macedonia. And something I think many of us know is that every single church has a reputation, right? Churches can have really good reputations. Churches can have just medium reputations, or they can have bad reputations, right? Now, I remember one time I was a new, like, youth leader, and I had taken our team to this event, and we were helping sponsor this community event in Medford, and it was all different churches, and every church had a different table that was supposed to be, like, welcoming and greeting and getting people registered. This whole process, it was pretty simple, right? We were just getting people's names and information. But in joy fashion, we were ourselves. We were wild. We were loud. We were excited. We were happy. And I didn't know that our church had a reputation for being that way. I just thought, it's who we are. It's what we do. It's just normal. And this guy, who is now a close friend of mine, but I didn't know him at the time, <clears throat> he came to our table and he goes, it's a stranger to me, he goes, you guys are from Joy Church, aren't you? And I go, um, yeah, like kind of like nervous, like why are you asking this? I go, how did you know? He goes, I could just tell, like something about you guys. There's something in the way you're talking. There's something in the way you're living. I could just tell that you are people from Joy Church Medford, right? Every church has a spirit about them, things that they're known for. Even in the Bible, um, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is talking to different churches, and he's saying, here's some of your strengths, and here's some of your weaknesses. You have this reputation, that reputation, and we're coming to a church that was a real living church 2,000 years ago in a city called Philippi. Now, I know what you're thinking. Most of you did not wake up this morning and go, man, I just wonder all about this church in Philippi, right? Was that the first thought on anyone's mind when you got out of bed this morning? <laughs> Pastor Steve, I think he's lying. We need to pray for him for that. Um, because we're going to go in this morning. Who was this church? Where did they come from? Um, who are they? And why is that important for us today? But I think most of us, we didn't wake up going, man, I just wonder, like, where did that church come from? right? Most of us didn't wake up this morning going, man, like, Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians. Like, why did he write that? And where was he when he wrote that? And why did he do this? All these questions we have to do when we come to Bible study. But here's the kind of questions I think many of us ask when we woke up this morning. God, how do I get more joy? 
Maybe it's been a rough week at work. Maybe you're going through difficult circumstances with your family or with your finances. I think many of us, maybe you didn't wake up thinking about the Philippians, but you woke up thinking about, God, how could I get more joy? Or God, how do I walk through this situation um, and not get discouraged or not get weak? Or Lord, how do I love this person or forgive this person? Those are the kind of questions I think many of us, um, we woke up this morning thinking, and I have good news for you. The answers to those kind of questions are found in God's word in this letter to the Philippians right? But sometimes to understand what God was saying to this church in this letter 2,000 years ago, sometimes we have to get the background story. Now, how many of you love Star Wars? Are there any Star Wars fans here? Now, don't um, stone me to death up here because I have to be honest, I am not a Star Wars fan. Um, I know you can boo. You can be really discouraged. Like I almost said, how many Trekkies? Oh, that's not Star Wars. That's Star Trek. But here's the reason I'm not a Star Wars fan. And maybe some of you can have compassion on me. Maybe you understand. I am so confused by Star Wars. Like everything about it confuses me because I've never seen all of them, right? Now, if you are a Star Wars fan, you know, what was the very first episode that was made? Episode four, right? Then five, then six. Then they go to the beginning and they start with episode one, episode two, and episode three. So when I come to Star Wars, I'm like, why is this dude in love with his sister and he has a really dysfunctional relationship with his father? And I don't understand anything. Like I was literally at the new Star Wars and there was like this ship and everyone's like cheering and clapping. I'm like, why are they clapping for this ugly old spaceship? Like I don't, I don't understand it. But Star Wars doesn't mean anything to me because I don't know anything of the context, right? So when you come to episode four, a lot has already happened in episode one, two, and three right? Now, when you come to this book of Philippians, a lot has already happened before you show up on the scene. And you're going to see stuff. Even tomorrow morning, I pray that as you get up and go, okay, I'm going to do this with the church. I'm going to read Philippians chapter one. There are going to be things in there, and you're going to feel like me in Star Wars. You're going to go, I don't really get this. Like, why is Paul talking about this offering that he was given and then it was taken and how he knew them, but he didn't know them? You're going to have some questions like that. And because of that, that's why you should have got up this morning thinking, Who are these Philippians and where did they come from? And for that reason, I'm going to answer the question all of you are just dying to know. Who is this church and where did they come from? It all started with the Apostle Paul, the missionary. And something I love about this story is that Paul had a desire that every person in the world would just know about Jesus. That's a pretty good desire, right? And so Paul is trying to go to Asia. The gospel had never gone here before. And for some reason, the Lord says, Paul, it's not time for the gospel to go to Asia. He goes, okay. So he tries to go to this other place called like Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit says, no, Paul, it's not time yet. So Paul is just trying to go anywhere to tell anyone about Jesus. There's a whole message there. We're not going to go into it today. But one night he's sleeping and he has this vision. And it's this Macedonian man from this state or this region of Macedonia. And it's called the Macedonian Call. If you want to read more about this, this is in the book of Acts chapter 16. And he has this vision. And it's this Macedonian man saying, Paul, come to Macedonia. Come tell us about Jesus. And Paul wakes up and he goes to his fellow um, like laborers in the gospel. He goes to Luke and he goes to Titus. No, to Paul. Silas, he goes to Silas, and he goes, guys, I'm pretty sure God's asking us to go to Macedonia. I had this crazy dream last night, and God's calling us to go. So this church starts because of the love that Jesus had for these people. And Macedonia is what now is modern-day Greece. It's the first time the message of Jesus had ever left this Middle East area, and it had gone into Europe. It's a pretty big moment. Like, this literally changed, like, the course of history, because it could have gone east into Asia. It could have gone south into Africa, but God called them to take it west into Europe. Europe. So Paul shows up and literally the gospel has never come here before. Imagine going to a place where no one 
had ever heard about Jesus. And Paul was only there for one reason. I have to tell these people about Jesus. I have to tell them the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and he died to save them. So he just starts kind of looking for people. It seems, it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. And he finds this kind of women's prayer meeting. People who believed in God, but they didn't know about Jesus. So what does he do? Hey, ladies, you got a minute? Can I talk to you? And he just tells them the story about Jesus. It's so simple. Something that you and I can do in our everyday lives. Just share this story. There's that old hymn, I love to tell the story, right? And it says, as Paul is just telling the story about Jesus, this woman named Lydia, it says her heart was just opened up by the Holy Spirit. And she believes in Jesus. And she becomes the very first believer in Jesus in Europe. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's just this simple lady on the side of a river having a prayer meeting. And she, I love as I was studying for this, they said she woke up a non-Christian and she went to bed a Christian that night going to heaven, right? It's a pretty amazing thought. And I pray that today, some of you, you might have woken up and you didn't know Jesus. And tonight you're going to lay your head on your pillow knowing Jesus, right? So after this lady gets saved, she says, Paul, come to my house and all the different guys. I want to provide for you. I want to make a place. If you need a place to stay, stay with me. Um, this was great because they didn't have anywhere to stay. So then they're just walking throughout the streets of Philippi. And there's this young girl who is demonically possessed. And the Bible tells us she had a spirit of divination. So these people were exploiting her by using this broken, demonically possessed girl to tell the future for people. And they're making a lot of money doing this. Well, there's this whole encounter in Acts 16 between Paul and this girl. And it ends with Paul setting her free, just saying, in Jesus' name, you're free. And she gets set free. And most people believe that when she got set free from demons, she joined that church of Philippi. So she's the second Christian in Philippi. First, you have Lydia just led to Jesus on the side of a river. Then you have this little girl who was demonically possessed, a slave, and now she's a believer. But this did not make her masters happy. If you know the story, um, they said, man, that was our moneymaker. Now Paul took her away because she's a Christian now. So what do they do? They have Paul and Silas in prison. They have them stripped of their clothes. They have them beaten, and they have them thrown into a horrible jail where they're fastened in stocks. Now what did Paul and Silas do in this moment? All they were doing was loving people, was sharing the gospel, and were seeking to bring the message of Jesus into Europe. And now they find themselves in a prison. So they, they threw a big pity party, party for themselves. Is that what they did? They got super depressed about life and posted it on Facebook. Is that what they did? No. It says they're in this situation that for many of us could be so dark. And it says at midnight, when most of us are asleep, they begin to sing and pray and lift up their praises to God, right? And for all of these people in Europe, they've never seen what a Christian is like. So the very first sight they see of Christians is we can take everything away from them. We can beat them. Like they're still bloody. They still have these festering wounds. And it doesn't matter what we do to these Christians. They just keep on singing. And it doesn't matter how much we try to stop them because they just keep on telling people about Jesus. And what happens? God shows up with a miracle in this jail cell because they had such a joy in God that says, man, it doesn't matter if you take everything away from us. It doesn't matter if you beat us. It doesn't matter if you even take our life because we have Christ. And the only reason we're here in Europe is because we're here to tell every single one of you about him. So there's this miracle that happens and the prison is shaken and the, the chains fall off and all the doors open. And through a different um, series of circumstances, this Philippian jailer is led to Jesus. And not just him, but his whole entire family is led to Christ. And now you have the very first church in Europe, the Church of Philippi. That's pretty amazing, right? Starting from one guy, Paul, just simply saying, I will be used by God. And anyone that comes into my path, I will share Jesus with them. You have Lydia, you have this demonically possessed girl, and now you have the whole family of the Philippian jailer. 
But why is that important to us? Because this church that got started in this kind of wild and crazy way can teach us so much about what it really means to be Christians. The first thing I want you to see about this church is that they were a people of joy. Say joy. joy. In 2 Corinthians, in that passage that we read earlier, Paul was writing about these churches. And he says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And here's what's amazing. I think many of us, even when we look at other Christians or other believers, we think, I can have joy when life is going great. Or I can have joy when everything is going my way and everything is going good. But what about those moments when life isn't going great? What about that moment when you're walking through heartache or you're walking through heartbreak or, or what you thought God was going to do, he wasn't going to do? I think many times that's where we struggle. Maybe you came in this morning and maybe you're struggling for joy and you say, I want that joy. I want this joy that they had, but I don't have that. But here's what's so amazing about these Philippians and what I love so much about them. It says they were destitutely poor, which is a lot different than even what American poverty can be. Like so poor, they might not have even had food enough to feed their families and might not have even had clean water to drink. But even in the midst of their poverty, that wasn't it. There's the boat weight, there's more good and also the bad version. It says not only are they extremely poor, but they're being persecuted. And there's people who are enemies to them just because they believed in Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, you literally see this crazy huge riot. And you go, well, what's, what's the reason? Like, why is there this fighting and, and wanting to imprison Paul and these people again? Just because they were Christians. And they said, they're proclaiming this gospel. There's another king, and it's not Caesar, and it's Jesus. So to be a Philippian Christian meant every single day of your life, you risked being killed, and you risked being murdered. Now, I don't want to underscore our problems and our difficulties, but I think this is a little bit more risk than you and I have today right? When every single day to be a Christian means you have to risk your life. And if someone finds out that you're a believer in Jesus, that they're going to, they could take your life, they could imprison you, they could have you beaten, they could take everything away from you. In the face of all this, do you know what the Apostle Paul says about these Philippians? He says, even in all these things, in their persecutions, in their afflictions, even in their poverty, they have an abundance of joy. And I love this because this is what Paul showed them. He says it does not matter if you're in a prison cell. It doesn't matter if the world has taken everything away from you. You can have joy. And when Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, do you know where he is again? He's sitting in another prison cell because he'd been arrested again for believing in Jesus. And these Philippians, that's all they knew was it doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what you go through. If you have Jesus, you have joy. And where did that joy come from? This joy came because the Philippians' joy was rooted and grounded in knowing Jesus. And I think this is something, if you'll let it, if you'll hear it, this can change your life. That when your joy is rooted and grounded in Jesus, nothing in the world can take your joy away. Right, and this is, this is what it was. Like I was talking in the first service that Christians should be kind of like those, those blow-up clown dolls that when you punch them, you go, I got them. And they come back smiling, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's those clown dolls that you punch because the world says, man, we can take away your money. And they say, man, we'll take it away. And they come back, I don't need money, right? We can take away your comfort. We can have you beat. We can have you in prison. That doesn't matter because I have Jesus and you can't take him away. And this makes us strong and this makes us resilient as Christians because nothing that the world could ever do can take your joy away. And I just love this because this makes you bold. 
And this makes you courageous because you can look in the face of whatever persecution you're facing, whatever difficulty you're walking through. It could be sickness, it could be cancer, it could be losing a job, it could be losing a loved one. And you can look at it in the face and say, it might be difficult and it might be painful, but this cannot take my joy. Because when your joy is anchored in Jesus, nobody can take that away. And I just love that. You know, the Apostle Paul, they say, Paul, we hate you, you're a Christian. Okay, so we're gonna kill you. To die is gain. Okay, let's go back to the drawing board. We'll let you live. To live is Christ. Oh, that didn't work. Um, well, we're gonna, we're, gonna have, we're gonna beat you and persecute you. I count it a joy to suffer for Jesus. Like, there was nothing you could do for him to hurt him. And this is how you and I are supposed to be. Like, nothing the world can do to us can shake our joy. And what would happen if that was us? Like, literally nothing could take that away. Because you know something? If your joy is in your money, the world can take that away. If your joy is in your comfort, they can take that away. If your joy is in your job, they can take that away. But if your joy is in Jesus, they cannot take that away. They can't. All the power of hell cannot take you out of Jesus' hands. I want to encourage you, some of you this morning, if you're fighting for joy, if you're struggling to find joy, until you put your joy in Jesus, the world can take it away. But when it is in him, you're unshakable. And nothing can take that joy away. Amen? I want to ask you a couple of simple questions this morning. Is Jesus Christ your greatest joy? I know that's a very simple question. I think sometimes we have to slow down long enough to get to the depth of our heart and say, is Jesus truly the greatest joy and the greatest treasure that I have? Like sometimes I think we need to really ponder, like if if everything I love in this world, if everything I hold dear to my heart, if all of that was taken away, could I be like this Philippian church, absolutely impoverished, absolutely afflicted, persecuted, even risking my life every single day? If that was how I lived, could I have joy? You know, I have friends in the world that this is their reality. In different parts of Southeast Asia that I've been, where you look at believers and they say every day, like if they, they could kill us, they could persecute us. But can I tell you something, I've never known more joyful, loving people in my life. That they say Jesus is better and if they kill us, we're with him forever. But if he lets us live, then we're gonna tell every single person we can about him. Because their joy is not in this life. Their, their joy is in the life to come. It's in Jesus And second, regardless of your circumstances this morning or the situations you walked in this room going through, are you delighting in Jesus and in this glorious gospel? Because no matter what you face, no matter what you're walking through, if Jesus is your joy, nothing can take that away. And the second thing I love about these Philippians is, in that verse, we're gonna read it one more time, in a severe test of affliction in 2 Corinthians 8, Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in sadness and depression. Is that what it says? Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in hoarding and trying to take care of their own personal need. This is what is so radical and this is why Christians are, I think, the coolest people on the planet because only Jesus can make this kind of stuff happen. It says, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, absolute like opposites, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Like when the world tried to take away their joy and tried to take away everything they had, they overflowed in giving. Right? They overflowed not just in joy personally. They didn't have just the joy in knowing Jesus, but their joy was in making him known. 
right? If you read on in this verse, they gave according to their means, which means they gave, like if you have nothing, then they gave a little, but I can testify, that's Paul speaking, they gave even beyond their means of their own accord. Like we didn't make them do this. We did not force them to give, but even in the midst of all of their trials, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected. Like, we did not expect this for this little poor church, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, which means their whole life, everything they were, and then by the will of God to us. And this is something amazing. The reputation of the Philippian church was always a church that gave. In the midst of poverty, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution, they gave and they gave and they gave. And when they didn't have anything more, they gave again. And when the persecution got harder, they gave again. And when it became more dangerous to be a Christian and people were being martyred, they just gave again. It's what they did. I want you to see even just a little bit of their history. Right when Paul established the church, they gave. Like from the very first day, we find this in Philippians chapter 1 verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes through how they had been giving. So right when they became Christians, they realized we're people who give. Then Paul goes to the next city, which is Thessalonica. Um, that's in Greece. They have some good Greek food there. I'd love to go someday. And what happens? Paul said, then I left you. You've been giving to me. I went to the next city. What did you do? You just keep, kept on giving. Then in Romans chapter 15, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, asking them to help send money to the church in Jerusalem. And when you study this out, a lot of people think, um, just as like in history, that Paul specifically did not include Philippi in the, chain, in the chain mail. So if you imagine olden days, they'd have to take a letter and they'd pass it from church to church to church because they didn't have like Instagram or Facebook, whatever. And a lot of people believe Paul did not ask the Philippians to give to the church at Jerusalem because they were so poor and they were so afflicted and they'd gone through so much hardship. But when they found out that Paul was taking up an offering to give to Jerusalem, do you know what they did? That's what we read about in 2 Corinthians um, Chapter 8, it says, they gave according to their means, I can testify beyond their means, begging us earnestly to be a part. Then when the Philippians found out all the other churches are giving to help the saints in Jerusalem, we're going to give too. Because they were people that gave. And they gave, and I could keep going on and on and on, story after story of in their life. They gave to Paul throughout his ministry. Then Paul was in prison, and they just kept giving. But where did this joy, this giving come from? They had such a joy in Jesus that they said, we have to make this gospel known to the world, right? And when you delight in Christ, when you have that kind of joy that the world can't take away, every single time it overflows and saying every person on the planet needs this, right? Everyone needs this. It doesn't matter what I lose. It doesn't matter what I sacrifice. It doesn't matter how much hardship I have to walk through. My life is not my own. And if I'm living, I'm living for Christ. And if I'm dying, I'm dying for his glory. And if I'm suffering, I'm suffering for the sake of other people because every person on this planet needs the gospel of Jesus. And if you look at the order of this sentence, of these words, that's the key part. It says their abundance of joy in Jesus caused them to overflow in generosity. And I really think if you are delighting in Jesus, it's impossible to be stingy and not help other people. You have to. You know, it's a really simple story. Last night I was just at Safeway doing normal stuff, right? Getting biscuits for tonight's barbecue. I remember I went through the check stand and just went out to my car. And I just felt that burning. These two guys I was talking to at the, the check stand. And I just thought, how could I not tell them about Jesus? 
Like, how could I have this gospel? How could I have this good news? Like, how could I come to this place and we worship and we delight in him because we know what he's done for us? How could I not go and tell them? So I had to go find something else to buy, to not look like a total creeper, to go talk to him about God and talk to him about church. I'm just telling you something. When Jesus is your joy, it will cause you to overflow to the world. And look at the Philippians. No matter what you're going through, no matter how painful the situation is in your life, no matter what kind of poverty you feel like you're in, or no matter what kind of afflictions you're going through, be like the Philippians that said, we have to give over and over and over again because we have received much from Jesus and we want to give much. You know, I was thinking about where does this heart come from? Like, how do we get this heart of giving? And I want to give you a little example. Welcome to youth group where we do object lessons. I want you to imagine, I'll use my dear parents for sake of example. I want you to imagine it's, I think it's April 25th, your anniversary, right? April 25th, and my dad comes home for the anniversary, and he has a big old thing of flowers. He's dressed up nice. He has plans at a nice expensive restaurant to, to spoil my mom. And I want you to imagine he comes to the door, and he knocks on the door of his own house, which is strange at your own house, right? You normally walk in. And all of a sudden, my mom's just doing her thing, cleaning or working or doing something. She opens the door, and she looks like, Steve, what are you doing? And he pulls out the flowers. Now, what do most women do? They go, Steve, you shouldn't have, right? Is that accurate? <clears throat> and I want you to imagine that moment. It's just it's something that Hallmark movies are made of, right? Steven, you shouldn't have. And he goes, yeah, like, I know I didn't have to, but, like, I read this book about what it means to be a good husband, and it said husbands are supposed to buy flowers. Now, do you know how expensive these flowers were? Um, and I had plans tonight. The Giants are playing, and it's a really big game. It, it determines if they're going in the World Series or not. But I guess because good husbands are supposed to give and be generous, like, I guess I'll take you out to dinner. It's not in our budget, but, like, I guess I'm supposed to be a good husband, so I kind of have to do this, right? How does she feel? What kind of spirit of giving is that? But let's do that all over again. Rewind. Steven, you shouldn't have. And he goes, baby, there's nothing in this world that brings me greater joy than giving to you. And I love you with all my heart and all my soul. And these flowers are so small. And there's 10 billion places I could be on this planet, but there's no other place I'd rather be than right here with you. And I got reservations at the most expensive place that you could think of. And we don't have the money, but you're worth it. And all of this is so small because you don't know how much you mean to me. And you don't know how much I love you. Nothing makes me happier than giving to you. Nothing brings me greater joy than giving to you. And then I think about how sometimes we come to Jesus in a church like this and we go, you know what, Lord? I guess I have to give my offerings. Like, the Bible says I have to tithe, so I'll do it, but don't ask for any, not even 1% more. I think sometimes you go, man, like they scheduled me on kids again. Dream team, three weeks in a row. Man, like they're trying to build a church in India. Like they don't expect to get a dime out of me for that. I'm not meaning to put anyone down. But I think about people like the Philippians. And they loved Jesus so much. And when they came to give, they said, Jesus, you have done so much for us. Jesus, we do not deserve your love. 
and we do not deserve your grace. And Jesus, we might be very poor, and even if we give everything we have, it's just so small compared to you. And Jesus, they told us that if we keep believing in you, they're gonna kill us. Like we've had other brothers, we already heard about James, we got his head chopped off for believing in you. And even now Paul, the one who brought us the gospel, he's in jail and most people think he's gonna get murdered. But Jesus, how could we not give? Like there are still millions of people on this planet who don't know you, like we have to give. And more than just I have to Jesus, nothing in this world gives me greater joy than giving to you. Jesus, nothing makes me happier. Nothing brings me greater joy than giving to you. And I want you to see something beautiful. When Paul writes about this, when their giving was not just natural, it was supernatural. Paul says that the way they gave was worship unto God. This is in Philippians chapter four. It says, I received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, and it was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And Paul says, when you gave, that was worship to Jesus. And I think about them, and Paul says, Philippians, don't give anymore, you're too poor. They say, no, we have to give. Like, we can't not give. We can't not sacrifice, because Jesus is so precious to us. And he says, you guys, but you're going through way too much persecution. Like, life is so hard for you. Like, if they find out you gave, then they might murder you. And they say, that doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter. Because our life isn't in this world and the things that we have or the things that we can see or we can touch. Our life is in Jesus. And we want every person on this planet to know the love that we have in him. And their joy in Jesus overflowed in generosity. And what would happen if you and I, if our joy in Jesus just overflowed and saying, God, there's nothing too much to ask of me. You know, Lord, if you ask for every dollar in my bank account, I just give it in a second because that's so small compared to who you are. Jesus, if you asked me to serve in this area or this area to do this thing or that thing or lay down this thing or that thing, God, all of that is so small because I love you so much and you've done so much for me that my giving just overflows out of me like the Philippian church. And this spirit did not start with the Philippians. It didn't start with the apostle Paul this spirit started in Jesus himself. The last verse I'm going to read to you, we've already read it, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know, Jesus loved us so much that he left his place in heaven, God himself in all his glory, and said he humbled himself to become a little baby born to a poor little family in obscurity and poverty and he grew up and at 30 years old he just started giving his whole life to loving people to serving the poor to serving the broken to healing them to making them whole and three years later they would strip him naked and they would beat his body so bloody so you couldn't even recognize who he was anymore and they'd lay a cross on his shoulders and he carried up that mountain. And the God of glory, who had everything, didn't need anything, gave it all so you could have life. And they'd nail his hands on that tree and they'd nail his feet to that cross. And he would die so that you and I could have life. 
And the Bible doesn't say that Jesus did this because he had to. It said for the joy that was set before him. Jesus went to that cross in joy. And he went to that cross in generosity saying, Father, here's my life to pay for the sins of the whole world. And the only reason you and I can come this morning and have life eternal is because our Jesus went to that cross with joy and he gave his life. But we celebrate this morning because he's not dead any longer and we know that he rose again and he lives forever and ever and ever and ever. We're gonna study it in two weeks in Philippians chapter two. He humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross but now God has exalted him to the highest place in heaven. And if you would close your eyes this morning, if you know Jesus, if you're a believer, then I want to encourage you, what would happen if Joy Church Medford, if we were known as a place of joy and generosity? What if that was our new reputation? They're the most joyful people. Why? Because life is always great? No. Because they have the most money? No. Because they have Jesus and that's enough for those people. <clears throat> but what if that joy would overflow in every single one of us to say, God, whatever it takes, I will give so that more people can know you. Jesus, so more lost people can come home, so more broken people can, be, can become healed. And I pray this morning that that spirit would fill our hearts of joy and generosity. But this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you've walked away for a long time, God loves you so much that he joyfully gave his only son so that you would not perish, but you would have life. And this morning, there's nothing that God wants more than that you would find life. And as every eye is closed, if that's you this morning, you say, I want that life that Jesus died to give me. We want to pray with you. I pray that like Lydia, <clears throat> some of you woke up this morning a non-Christian, you're going to go to bed a Christian. Some of you woke up without life and you're going to go to bed with eternal life. Right now, if that's you, would you lift your hand and we're going to pray for you. If you say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Awesome. Praise God, I see that hand. Anybody else in this place who say, I want to give my life to Jesus. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, he will hear you and he will change you. Awesome, I see those hands. And I just want to encourage you, none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed that you wake up tomorrow morning. If today was your last day, are you confident that you have eternal life? And if not, then I urge you, don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait. Anybody else in this place? Awesome. Church, can we all just pray together and celebrate with these people giving their life to Jesus? Say, dear Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to die on that cross so I could live. Jesus, I give you my life. You're my Lord and you're my God. Thank you that you're not dead any longer, but you're alive and I give you my life. Wash away my sins and your precious blood. Make me brand new. You're my Lord. You're my God. Fill me now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Come on, can we celebrate with those people who gave their life to Jesus? <laughs> Amen. Church, that's what we live for. That's what we give for, right? People every single week coming to know Christ. Very last, you're afraid preachers always say that, but this is the last thing. If you say, you know what, I want that spirit of joy and generosity to just absolutely fill my life. Could you just stand up and I'm gonna pray for you. If you say, you know what, I want, like those Philippians had, 
like Paul had, like Jesus had. I, I really pray for some of you this morning that you're gonna get that wild, crazy joy that nothing in the world can take away. That when life punches you, you just come up happier and faster because your joy is so much in Jesus. Father, I thank you for every single person that responded so they want that. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would change us and you would transform us. Through God, you would fill our lives with this spirit of joy and generosity that we saw in the Philippians, that we saw in the life of Paul, but, Lord, we saw it in you. God, I pray that every single person here, they would have this abundant, overflowing joy in you, Jesus, that it just overflows to the world. And that God, it would lead us to be generous. That God, our fists would not be tight and closed. God, we would say whatever it takes to get the gospel to the world. Whatever it takes to see every person in our city come to know Christ, that's, that's our line. And until every single person in Medford knows Jesus, there's more to give. God, I pray that, Lord, you would fill us with that spirit of joy and generosity right now. In the name of Jesus, everybody said,